0: Where is true blessing to be found? The world's answer to that question and Jesus' answer to that question couldn't be any more different. Just run your eye down these first few Beatitudes. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. That is just not how the world thinks. Perhaps it's not even how you think. The unbeliever hears these things and thinks they sound crazy. It sounds to them like an upside down way to live. Like the opposite of how they want to live. Boys and girls, you know what the opposite of something is? Uh, The opposite of day is night, the opposite of hot is cold. Well the way Jesus says that we are to live is the opposite of the way non-Christians want to live. To them it all sounds so silly as saying that you should have your supper for breakfast and that you should have your pudding first and then have your tea afterwards. Uh, people around us hear the beatitudes and they think well that is no way to live but it is the only life which will know God's blessing and it's a life we can only live by his grace but it's also true that even as Christians we can hear some of these beatitudes and, and think they mean something different from what they actually do mean and That's particularly the case with these first two, where Jesus pronounces blessings on the poor in spirit and on those who mourn. And so as we look at this first beatitude this morning, we're going to look firstly at what being poor in spirit isn't as well as what it is. So firstly this morning, coming to this first beatitude, what it isn't and what it is. Are Christians more likely to be poor or rich? When the Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he said, For consider your calling brothers. Not many were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. And that wasn't simply true of Christians in Corinth, back then but it has been true of Christians around the world and in all ages ever since God continues to use what is weak in the world to shame the strong but but there is no blessing for being poor in and of itself in a financial sense just as there is no curse for being rich there are rich Christians in the New Testament as well as the Old and so blessed are the poor in spirit doesn't simply mean blessed are the materially poor the poor person who isn't a believer remains under God's wrath and curse just as much as the rich unbeliever does Being poor in terms of finances isn't the same as being poor in spirit. Nor is being poor in spirit the same thing as being spiritually poor. Spiritual life is the thing that we need above anything else. And there is no blessing without it. In the book of Revelation, we have a letter written by the Lord Jesus to a church who were spiritually poor, but he didn't realise it. And he writes to them and says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realising that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. To be spiritually poor is to be outside of Christ." And there is no blessing apart from Jesus. Nor is being poor in spirit a description of natural temperament. Someone who is by nature quiet or introspective isn't necessarily poor in spirit. Because after all, then some people would would be blessed simply by nature. Uh, and, and they wouldn't need God's grace or blessing. Nor is being poor in spirit uh, some kind of false humility. Uh, like a, a Uriah Heap type character who always wants you to know how lowly they are. Nor is being poor in spirit thinking that we are Worthless. The Bible wants to give us a higher view of the dignity and worth of human beings than the world has, not a lower view. According to the Bible, men, women, boys and girls are made in the image and likeness of God and so are far from worthless. It's not actually a mark of spirituality to say, well, I have nothing to contribute. What, what could I do? Rather, the Christian can honestly assess the gifts and abilities that God has given them and, and yet say with Paul, what, what do I have that I did not receive? The Christian may even be able to say with Paul, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but the grace of God that that is within me. So being poor in spirit, it's not the same thing as being materially poor. Nor is it the same thing as being spiritually poor. Nor is it thinking we are worthless. So what is it? Well, one really helpful verse to shed light on, on what it is to be pure in spirit is 1 Corinthians 2.11. Uh, it's printed on the back of the service sheet for you. 1 Corinthians 2.11. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person which is in him. The word spirit there is talking about our inner selves. No one can know our thoughts apart from our inner selves. Our, our spirits. Uh, so spirit in 1 Corinthians 2 refers to our inner beings and particularly the knowledge of ourselves that we have in our inner beings. And so to take that back to the first beatitude, to be pure in spirit is talking about the assessment that we make of ourselves. It's talking about how we view ourselves. The two most important things about any human being are, are what we think of about God and what we think about ourselves. And the question at the very beginning of the Sermon on the Mount is what do you think about yourself? How do you see yourself before God? How did you view yourself as you came in here this morning in relation to God? are you like those in the church in Laodicea did you come in this morning effectively saying in your mind well I am rich I have prospered I need nothing yes I'll come to church but I don't really need God to give me anything or do you realize that apart from Jesus Christ you are wretched pitiable poor blind and naked Jesus gives us an example elsewhere of what being pure in spirit looks like. Two men go up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee one a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prays, God I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. Well, who is poor in spirit there? It's the tax collector. And the tax collector, the one who is poor in spirit, goes down to his house justified rather than the other because it is only the poor in spirit who will enter the kingdom of heaven not because of their poverty in spirit in and of itself but because knowing that they have nothing in their hands to bring they simply cling to the cross of Jesus Christ being poor in spirit is to realise that you have nothing and to cry out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Have you done that? Have you done that? So firstly this morning, poverty of spirit, what it is and what it isn't. Then secondly, how to realise our poverty of spirit? How to realise our poverty of spirit Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit. So how can we know this blessing? How can we be among the poor in spirit? That is, how can we realise our true spiritual need? And this is a really, really significant question because do you remember what God says in Isaiah 66 verse 2? but this is the one to whom I will look he who is pure and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word so being poor in spirit is the difference between God looking, looking at you and God looking away from you in other words you cannot hope to know the favour of God without being pure in spirit Or to put it even more bluntly, you cannot be a Christian until you are in your own eyes pure in spirit. You cannot be a Christian until you are in your own eyes pure in spirit. Simply accepting a a set of facts as true won't make you a Christian. Even intellectually accepting the idea that you are pure in spirit won't make you a Christian. You cannot be a Christian until you are, in your own eyes, poor in spirit. So how can you become a person who sees your poverty of spirit? And by the way, if that still seems an unpleasant prospect to you, if you're still thinking, well, well, why would I want to, to see my poverty of spirit? remember uh, I quoted earlier in the service uh, someone once said God first empties a man of himself before he pours in the precious wine of his grace until you become poor in spirit until you're emptied of yourself God won't pour in his grace so how can you become someone who sees your own poverty of spirit well in a sense there's nothing that we can do to become poor in spirit it's something which god has to reveal to us and work in us but god does use means to do that and the two great ways that we realize our poverty of spirit are by comparing ourselves to god's law and comparing ourselves to god himself By God's grace, if we compare ourselves to to God's law and to God himself, we'll see our poverty of spirit. We'll see that we have nothing that we can bring to the table, spiritually speaking. In fact, one of Jesus' great aims of the Sermon on the Mount, which the Beatitudes are the first part of, is to show us just how far short of God's law we fall. The Jews in Jesus' day, like many people in our day, had convinced themselves that if they didn't murder, if they didn't commit adultery and so on, then they'd be fine. In other words, that they had reduced God's law simply to outward obedience. But then Jesus comes along and he blows that interpretation out of the water. Immediately after the Beatitudes, he'll go on to talk uh, in verse 21. If you cast your eye down, you have said, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. He says in verse 27. You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. That's the, the sixth and seventh commandments. And we're to understand the rest in the same way. If God's law was just about not doing the outward action, we could kid ourselves that we were okay. But if it's about our words, if it's about our hearts, if it's about our thoughts, then we have no chance. We have no chance. (laughs) Suddenly we see that all the righteousness we once thought we had is like filthy rags. And we realise that we are exposed and naked before God. And to realise that uh, and not to try and deny it or cover it up, To acknowledge that, that's what it is to be poor in spirit. And the reason, by the way, that God's law exposes our poverty of spirit is because the law isn't an arbitrary set of rules, but it reflects God's character. Think what happens to those in Scripture who come face to face, either literally or metaphorically, with God Himself. How do they react? Well like Isaiah they are undone. Isaiah that prophet who had just pronounced a series of six woes. He sees the Lord Jesus in his glory and he utters a seventh woe. And it's on himself. Woe is me. Job says at the end of the book. I had heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore I despise myself and repent in dust and ashes. That's what it is to be pure in spirit. It's not false humility, but it's to see ourselves in light of God's awesome holiness and to realise the depth of our spiritual poverty. Have you seen the depth of your own spiritual poverty? Because sooner or later you will have to. But if the moment you realise that is the moment after your life on earth ends, then it will be too late. It will be too late to do anything about it. Perhaps someone will say, well those are Old Testament examples. Our view of God has evolved but think of Peter and John, Jesus' two closest friends when he was on earth. Peter gets just a glimpse of Jesus' glory in one of his miracles and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. John, uh, the disciple whom Jesus loved, sees the risen Jesus in his glory and he tells us, When I saw him, I fell on his feet as though dead and unless you have seen what Peter and John saw unless you have seen the glory of Jesus that they saw you won't realise your own spiritual poverty it's what being poor in spirit is and isn't how they realise our, our spiritual poverty thirdly and finally this morning what realising our poverty of spirit leads to what this leads to Something which I trust we'll see as we go through the Beatitudes is that the order in which Jesus gives them matters. They're not thrown together randomly. One naturally follows on from another. And so poverty of spirit comes first because it must come first. Because it's only when we see that we can bring nothing to the table ourselves that we will cry out to God for mercy. Do you remember when the Pharisees and scribes grumbled to Jesus and said, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Well, how did Jesus respond? He said, Those who are well have no need of a doctor, but those who are sick. I've come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Now when Jesus said that, did he mean that the Pharisees were healthy? Did he mean that they were righteous? Did Jesus mean that there were a category of people on earth who were righteous and he didn't need to go to the cross to die for them because they were okay? Not at all. The Pharisees were not healthy. They were not righteous. But they thought they were. They thought they were. And until they realised they weren't, they wouldn't see their need of Jesus. But on the other hand, because the tax collectors and sinners realised their need, they flocked to Jesus. And so must we. The tax collectors and sinners, those who society looked down on, they realised their need and they came to Jesus and so must we. That's what Jesus himself tells the church in Laodicea to to do. He, He tells them about their spiritual poverty, the very thing they were blind to. He tells them that they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind and naked. And then he says, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire. So that you may be rich, and white garments, so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes, so that you may see. Boys and girls, do you ever play shops where you have to go and buy certain things? Well, here Jesus tells these people that there are two things in particular that they need to buy from Him. First they need to buy ointment for their eyes because they are blind and they don't see their need for Jesus. Uh, they're walking around thinking that they're okay but it's because they're blind. Uh, but some people won't buy even that because they think they don't, they don't need it. Uh, uh, there was once a, a Roman philosopher and apparently he had a servant girl born blind in his house But as she grew up, she wouldn't believe that she was blind. She said, the house is dark, but I am not blind. The house is dark. I am not blind. And people today say, well, the problem is with the world. Uh, The problem is with the politicians. It's not with me. I'm fine. I'm not blind. But we are. And so we need to buy ointment to open our eyes. And then once our eyes are opened we need and we realise that in God's sight uh, we are naked then the second thing we need to buy is clothes. What clothes do we need to buy? Uh, Well, We need to be covered in the robe of Jesus' righteousness. Boys and girls do you know what it is to come in from playing outside and your clothes are, are totally filthy uh, and you have to take them straight off and put them in the washing machine well that's a bit like what sin does to us it makes us dirty uh, but it doesn't come from outside It, it comes from inside us But if we come to Jesus he promises not just to wash our sins away but to give us new clean clothes to wear. Clothes which he has made for us by his perfect life. And if we're wearing those clothes, in other words if we're trusting in him, then when God looks at us he doesn't see the dirtiness of our sin but he sees Jesus' perfect obedience instead. You know, the the Apostle Paul once thought that God would look on all the good things that he did and that God would be impressed by how nice his clothes were, as it were. His clothes being all the good things that he did. When actually his clothes were filthy. Because although he was doing some good things and some very bad things, but, but even the good things that he did, he didn't have any love for God in his heart and so those, those good deeds that he thought he did they were, they were filthy in God's sight and after Jesus saved him Paul looked back at all that and he said whatever gain I had I counted as loss for the sake of Christ he said I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which comes through faith in Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith. To be poor in spirit is to realise the desperate condition we're in. To realise that the boat we're on is sinking. To realise that there's a payment which has to be made, which we could never pay by ourselves. Some people are in those positions and they're in denials. Denials. The boat will never sink. Uh, The debt will never have to be paid. But to be poor in spirit is to accept that you will die if you don't jump into the lifeboat. It's to realise that unless you accept the astoundingly generous offer to pay what you owe, you will be ruined and lose everything. To be poor in spirit is in a word to look at your life and realize that any good you might have can only come from God and to realize the truth of Martin Luther's dying words we are beggars this is true we are beggars this is true so have you done that have you jumped into the lifeboat have you accepted Jesus offer to pay your debt Could it be that someone here today is still in denial about their spiritual condition? If that's you, then don't go on a moment longer. Because each of these Beatitudes has an opposite. If those who are poor in spirit are blessed, then those who aren't are cursed. Perhaps you don't think you're under God's curse this morning because you haven't committed any big sins in the world's eyes. You haven't murdered anyone. You haven't committed adultery. But to borrow an illustration from Thomas Watson, some boats escape the rocks, but they run aground in the sand. And in the same way, some people escape the rocks of big outward sins, but are cast away in the sand of self-righteousness. They think they're okay because they haven't done some of the things that people around them have done. They haven't done drugs. They've lived a a stable family life. They've served the community. They've lived a respectable life that others even look up to. But without Jesus, to do all those things is to escape the rocks, but to run aground in the sand and still be lost. It's to be be so puffed up in your own sight that, that you're too big to enter in the door of heaven but it doesn't have to be that way. Realise your desperate spiritual need. By God's grace, face up to your poverty of spirit. Understand that you can bring nothing to the table. Accept Jesus Christ freely offered in the gospel and the kingdom of heaven will be yours. Amen. Well, the words of Psalm 8 are very appropriate, and we'll finish with them. Psalm 8a, verses 3 to 7. Psalm 8a, page 10, verses 3 to the end. In verse 3, the writer looks at God and what God has made. Will I look up unto the heavens which your own fingers made, unto the moon and to the stars which you in order laid? And what's his reaction when he sees God and God's glory and God's power in creation? He says, verse 4, What is man that you should him in kind remembrance bear? Or what the son of man indeed that you for him should care? And yet the psalm goes on to speak in verse 6, not simply of the dignity of created man, but of the, the exalted glory of the uncreated God-man, the Lord Jesus Christ. So Psalm 8a, 3-7, we'll stand and sing.